was dark out. The shepherds were in the flock tower overlooking the temple sheep. These shepherds were people who tended to be those without family or land. Homeless, hired help. They were considered ritually impure by the temple priest. They were good enough to tend the temple sheep, but not good enough to enter the temple. These shepherds, skin rough, tanned, and leathery, were watching and waiting, and perhaps even doing some wondering. They had seen a young couple go into one of the caves where they used to protect the sheep when the weather was bad. They noticed that the young woman was very pregnant. That husband of hers didn't look too much older than 15 or 16 years old, and they thought that maybe she was 13 or 14 tops. So as they watched and waited and tended the sheep, did they wonder if that baby was going to be like them? A shepherd? His family looked poor enough, and they had no place to stay. They may have wondered, would he be willing to stay up all night, tending to the vulnerable, putting his life on the line to save his sheep? You see, they knew what it took to be a good shepherd. They knew that a good shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep. So as the night closed in, they heard the cries of the mother as she labored in giving birth. They offered prayers for her and the baby she was struggling to bring into the world. Later, they heard the baby's cry. I imagine they smiled and thanked God for a successful birth. That this little one survived the struggle to arrive. And they became more vigilant because they knew that predators would have heard the agony and they would have smelled a new birth. They knew they needed to be good shepherds to that baby that night. These unrecognizable and unremarkable people guarding a newborn, perhaps even a new good shepherd. Mary and Joseph, no doubt, over the preceding months had been watching and waiting and wondering who would this child be? Would they be good parents to this child? Would he need to be a priest, a prophet, a warrior? And if, if he needed to be a priest, would they be able to afford it on what 
Joseph made. And if he needed to be a warrior, how would they get him trained in those skills? How could they teach him to lead people into a rebellion against injustice? What kind of men would he surround himself with in order to overthrow the Roman occupation? What kind of king would he be? Even in labor, in this borrowed room, they watched, waited, and wondered. Who would our child become? For they knew that this child would be God incarnate. But would he be a priest, a prophet, a warrior, a king? That night, this birth, it was unrecognizable as an eternity-changing event. A young peasant woman, a, an attentive husband, in a simple room, no animals overlooking the feeding trough, no stable, no innkeeper shouting, no place for you. Just an ordinary, everyday couple in the process of giving birth, it seemed. She was preparing to deliver her firstborn, a son, just as she had been told. She had gathered rags to wrap him up and place him into a makeshift crib because they'd had no other place. So no, there were no snowy winter wonderland. No stockings hung over the fireplace. No evergreen tree with lights and ornaments. It was a simple straightforward, plain account of a baby being born in very humble surroundings. Nothing to write home about. Mary and Joseph, this newborn, unrecognizable, unremarkable, just like so many others who had been born around this time. Waiting, watching, wondering. The moment pregnant with possibility, God about to be born into the world. Unrecognizable. I love how Luke blurs the lines of the holy with what is ordinarily human to announce the presence of God with us, God incarnate, love with skin on it. Births, including our own, bring into the world beings that can never be replicated. True for God, true for ourselves. I think that somehow, some way, the meaning of Christmas has to be lodged somewhere, someplace deep within us. When we recognize this, then we might actually 
have an embodied experience of a rather baffling and bewildering doctrine in which we believe, which is that we are born both human and divine. If and when we come to terms with our whole self, that blurring of lines of the ordinary and the divine, the Christmas story asks us, what do we do with that truth? Not only was Jesus incarnate, God, love with skin on it, we are incarnate. But what does incarnation really mean? Yes, of course it always means that God chose to enter into our humanity in all of its fullness and all of its foibles. God chose to enter into life's pain, into life's joys, into life's Sorrows. Yes, it means that God would even experience death itself, only to defeat it. It's determined to take from it a, a, the grip and transform it into eternal life. But what does it mean really to us here and now today? beyond the truth of Jesus of Nazareth and the promises of the empty tomb. The incarnation means that at the same time, the incarnation is a revelation of God. It's also a revelation of who we are. When we begin to realize that in God's decision to become human, we begin to realize that our humanity matters. When we begin to recognize that in God's commitment to bodies, that means our bodies matter. When we begin to realize that in God's determination to be known in the flesh, it begins to mean that doing ministry in the flesh matters. That God was born, was human, was divine means that you matter. That I matter, that we are special. Not in some sort of narcissistic, egocentric kind of way because to be human can never be generalized. To be human is to be you, flesh and spirit. Together, God says, I knew you before you were formed in the womb. So I need you to be you, fully you. And while it is about you, it is not all about you. The incarnation is this radically reciprocal reality. God's commitment to being human in Jesus is God is saying, I am committed to you and being fully you. It's God saying, I love the authentic you. Live into your purpose. 
live into your calling. We are called to be love with skin on it. We are a call to be love unleashed into the world, to be fully and truly who God created us to be. Paraphrasing Miriam Williamson, I believe our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. It is our deepest fear is that we are indeed powerful, just as God made us. Our deepest fear that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our might, not our weakness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, like Kent said, fabulous? Actually, who aren't we to be? You, and you, and you, and you are a child of God. You are made in the very image and likeness of the divine. So you're playing small. It doesn't serve you well. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people can not feel insecure about themselves. You are meant to shine. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. So shrinking so that other people can feel secure around you is not our calling. We are born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is in us. Only Tammy's with me. We are born <laughs> to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. Okay, I got Kedrick, okay. <laughs> One more time, we are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. <laughs> it's not just in some of us. It's in all of us. Including shepherds. So as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. When we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear of being fabulous, our presence automatically liberates Others. Christmas 
is a gift from God, of God's very self, for the sake of you and I being our very true self. So that the world might indeed know God's love. Yeah? Thank you, Tammy. Hang, hang in there with me. <laughs> so that the world might indeed know God's love. Yes? Is that not our intent? <laughs> and in and through and because of you, God, love with skin on it, is unleashed into the world. Merry Christmas. <laughs>